إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد سكنتنينغ with the 40 حديث والإمام النووي Today we reach the hadith of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu anil nabiyy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fima yarwihi an rabbih azza wa jal annahu qal ya ibadi inni harramtu al-dhulma ala nafsi waja'altuhu baynakum muharraman fala tadhalamu ya ibadi kullukum dhalun illa man hadaytuhu fastahduni ahdikum يا عبادي كلكم جائع إلا من أطعمته فاستطعموني أطعمكم يا عبادي كلكم عار إلا من كسوته فاستكسوني أكسكم يا عبادي إنكم تخطئون بالليل والنهار وأنا أغفر الذنوب جميعا فاستغفروني أغفر لكم يا عبادي إنكم لن تبلغوا ضري فتضروني ولن تبلغوا نفعي فتنفعوني يا عبادي لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم كانوا على أتقى قلب رجل واحد منكم ما ساد ذلك في ملك شيئا يا عبادي لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم كانوا على أفجر قلب رجل واحد ما نقص ذلك من ملك شيئا يا عبادي لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم قاموا في سعيد واحد فسألوني فأعطيت كل إنسان مسألته ما نقص ذلك مما عندي إلا كما ينقص المخيط إذا أدخل البحر يا عبادي إنما هي أعمالكم أحسيها لكم ثم أوفيكم إياها فمن وجد خيرا فليحمد الله وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَهِ رواه مسلم This hadith now, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in it, that it is a hadith he narrates directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this type of hadith, it is known as uh, al-hadith al-Qudsi. This type of hadith where the Prophet ﷺ narrates directly from Allah, then it's recognized as Al-Hadith Al-Qudsi. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, هَذَا حَدِيثٌ عَظِيمٌ يَرْوِيهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى عَنْ رَبِّهِ This is a great hadith that the Prophet ﷺ narrates from his Lord. وَهُوَ مَا يُسَمَّى بِالْحَدِيثِ الْقُدْسِ And this is what is termed... As a hadith Qudsi Al-Hadith Al-Qudsi Nisbatan ila Al-Quds Wa huwa Al-Tuhr And this is what some of the scholars they say That the reason why it's called Al-Hadith Al-Qudsi Because Al-Quds It refers to something which is pure Something which is sacred and pure So they give the title to this hadith That it is a sacred or pure type of hadith because this is a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ narrates directly from Allah. Because as you know, the hadith, they can be two general types. There are many classifications when you look at them in the sciences of hadith. The weak hadith, the strong hadith, the way that it's narrated, mutawatir ahad, different types. But generally speaking, in one general classification, you could say that the Hadith could either be Hadith Qudsi, وَهُوَ مَا كَانَ مِنْ كَلَامِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ لَفْظُهُ وَمَعْنَاهُ A Hadith Qudsi is something which is narrated from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the wording and the meaning is from Allah. That's what some of the scholars, they say in the definition of a Hadith Qudsi, that the actual wording is the wording of Allah. 
The Prophet ﷺ has narrated those words exactly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second type of general hadith is Hadith al-Nabawi wa huwa ma kana min kalami al-Rasul The prophetic hadith and that is the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ narrates. So here we have the type of hadith which is Qudsi. فَالْحَدِيثُ الْقُدْسِ لَفْضُهُ وَمَعْنَاهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ يَرْوِيهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَنْ رَبِّهِ بِلَفْضِهِ وَمَعْنَاهُ وَأَمَّا الْحَدِيثُ النَّبَوِي فَمَعْنَاهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ أَيْ هُوَ وَحْيٌ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَلَفْضُهُ مِنَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ This is what some of the scholars have mentioned, that the hadith Qudsi, therefore, is a hadith that the Prophet has heard from Allah directly and narrated it like that. The exact words that he heard from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas the normal type of hadith is the revelation which came from Allah to the Prophet ﷺ, and then the Prophet ﷺ explained it himself. And then that is the hadith that you have in Bukhari, Muslim, all of those narrations. That the Prophet ﷺ explains the rulings in his own expressions, but it is the revelation that he took that from. So these are the two different types. In this particular hadith then, there are many great things that Allah mentions. At the beginning of the hadith, Allah says, Ya ibadi inni haramtu dhulma ala nafsi. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O oh my slaves, ya ibadi. And this is the manner in which Allah addresses the people. Allah addresses the people in this way by saying, Ya ibadi. O oh my slaves, my servants, وَتِكْرَارُ ذَلِكَ مَعَ كُلِّ فَقْرَ مِنْ فَقَرَاتِ الْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ عَلَى تَلَطُّفِ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى بِعِبَادِهِ And the fact that Allah repeats that phrase throughout the hadith, يَا عِبَادِي, يَا عِبَادِي, يَا عِبَادِي In all of the different paragraphs you'll see, every section starts with that phrase, يَا عِبَادِي, O oh my servants. And this indicates the the good uh, character the 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 mannerism that Allah addresses the servants in this gentleness this gentleness that Allah addresses the servants in O oh my slaves O oh my servants so Allah addresses us with this gentleness and this is mentioned throughout the hadith فَإِنَّهُ غَنِيٌّ عَنْهُمْ وَمَعَ ذَلِكَ يَدْعُوهُمْ وَيُؤَكِّدُ عَلَيْهِمْ لِأَجْلِ مَصْلَحَتِهِمْ Despite the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of us, He is not in need of us or for us to have to obey the commandments, Allah is free and self-sufficient of all of that. Despite that, Allah speaks to the servants in this generous manner, addressing them in this manner of generosity, of kindness, in order to attract their attention to this. ibad. And when Allah refers to the slaves as al-ibad, then that is from al-ubudiyah, wahiya taghallul wal khudu' lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is to submit yourself and to hum- uh, make yourself humble in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we submit ourselves and we make ourselves humble in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what ibadah is. Ibadah is to make yourself humble and to make yourself with humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with that love and fear and hope in the worship of Allah. So in this hadith now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses all of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses us all and says, Ya ibadi, O my servants. And then Allah says, firstly, Inni harramtu dhulma ala nafsi وَجَعَلْتُهُ بَيْنَكُمْ مُحَرَّمًا فَلَا تَظَالَمُوا Allah says, I have made ظُلْمَ Haram upon myself. And I have made it haram between yourselves. So do not oppress each other. I have made ظُلْمَ Haram upon myself. And I have made it haram between you, the servants. So do not oppress each other. Do not do oppression to each other. For indeed Allah says here now, I have made it haram between yourselves for you to commit oppression amongst yourselves. So do not commit oppression between yourselves. 
This is the wording of the hadith. I have made this oppression wrong or haram upon myself, and I have made it between yourselves haram also. So do not oppress each other. Zulm. What does zulm mean then? When Allah says here now that we are not to make zulm to each other, then what does zulm mean? Often in the English language, it is translated as oppression. Oppression. But zulm, generally speaking, it refers to placing something out of its rightful place. Placing something out of its rightful place. وَضْعُ فِي غَيْرِ مَوْضِعِهِ Placing something out of its correct and rightful place. So, if you do that, you are now transgressing. You are now oppressing. If you do something out of its place, where it shouldn't be done, then you've oppressed and you've transgressed. That's what dhulm is. And there are three different types of dhulm. There are three different types of dhulm. The first of those, Al-Qismul Awwal, Dhulmun Bain Al-Abdi Wa Rabbih. The dhulm that you commit between yourself and Allah. The dhulm that a person commits between himself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The oppression or the wrongdoing that a servant commits between himself and Allah. How do you do dhulm between yourself and Allah? How do you do dhulm between yourself and Allah? Shirk. So the oppression, the dhulm that is meant by this type, where a servant commits dhulm and oppression between himself and Allah, is by committing shirk. Just like in the ayah in the Quran where it says, إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ That indeed shirk is a great dhulm. It is a great dhulm, this shirk. Similarly in the ayah, Surah Al-An'am, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ بِذُلْمٍ Those who have iman, then they do not mix their iman with dhulm. They don't mix their iman with dhulm. They are the ones who are rightly guided, and they are the ones who have the aman, they have the security and the safety. The ones who do not mix their iman with dhulm. When the companions heard this hadith, or this ayah, when the companions heard this ayah, then they were left considering that they couldn't do this. They said, we all commit dhulm. All of us do dhulm. Sometimes we do something wrong. We all commit dhulm. So how can we practice this ayah? To have iman and not do any dhulm. Not mix it with any dhulm. But then the Prophet ﷺ explained to them the meaning of dhulm, which is, as the ayah says, إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ that the meaning of it is not to commit any shirk. So you have the iman, then you do not mix the iman with shirk. So the greatest type of dhulm is the dhulm that you do between yourself and Allah by committing shirk. And we know this is haram and impermissible and the greatest act of evil. The greatest act of evil is that shirk. Allah said in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk. A person who dies upon shirk without making repentance, then is in the hellfire forever. As for the sins besides that, وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ And Allah forgives besides that to whomsoever He wills. But the shirk cannot be forgiven. We know this from very other, various other narrations. The hadith when the Prophet ﷺ said, أَتَدْرِ مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ وَمَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know what the right of Allah is upon His servants? And what the right of the servants is upon Allah? Then the Prophet ﷺ explained, حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا The right of Allah upon His servants is that they worship Him upon Tawheed and do not commit any shirk. That is the right of Allah upon the servants. As for the right of the servants upon Allah, then firstly, we do not have any rights upon Allah. Rather, this is a virtue that Allah gave to us, something which Allah gave to us, we don't have any rights upon Allah. But this is something Allah has promised us and given us as a virtue. 
And that is, Allah يُعَذِّبَ مَنْ لَا يُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا That Allah will not punish the one who does not commit shirk with him. So we see that the greatest oppression is the dhulm that you commit between yourself and your Creator by committing shirk, by calling upon others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many ayat which show the impermissibility of that in the Qur'an. وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُ مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا That indeed the mosques, they are for Allah. So do not call upon others besides Allah. The masajid, the masajid that you are aware of the mosques, or as some of the scholars they say in the tafsir, your body parts that you make the prostration with. Your body parts that you make the prostration with, they are masajid. So do not use these to worship others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not use those body parts or the actual masajid to worship others besides Allah. So we know of the great impermissibility of shirk. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ That we sent to every nation a messenger preaching. The same thing. أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ and refrain and stay well away, abstain from the false deities. And in fact, Allah even told us in the Qur'an that our actual objective of creation is the Tawheed, and to stay away from the shirk. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create the jinn or the humans except to worship Him. Then the second type of dhulm. The second type of dhulm is the dhulm bain al-abdi wa nafsihi. The type of oppression that a person commits between himself and himself. The dhulm that you commit between yourself and yourself. So what is the dhulm that you commit between yourself and yourself? Sins. ظُلْمٌ بَيْنَ الْعَبْدِ وَنَفْسِهِ وَذَلِكَ بِالْمَعَاصِ وَالسَّيِّئَاتِ فَهُوَ الَّذِي ظَلَمَ نَفْسَهِ يعني وضعها في غير موضعها اللائق بها ظلم نفسه فيما دون شرك وهذا يغفره الله سبحانه وتعالى لمن يشاء The second type of oppression then is that you oppress yourself. How do you oppress yourself? By committing sins. When you commit sins and you do evil, then you are placing yourself in line for punishment. You are placing yourself in line to be punished. You are placing yourself to deserve to be worshipped, uh, to be punished. You are placing yourself to deserve to be punished by committing those sins. So you are wronging yourself. You are wronging yourself and oppressing yourself by committing sins. Because then you are placing yourself in a position where you deserve to be punished. So that is a wrongdoing. The third type of oppression, ظُلْمٌ بَيْنَ insani. One nurse, the oppression that a person commits between himself and other people. The dhulm that you commit between yourself and other people. And how do you commit that type of dhulm? By oppressing and transgressing against other people. By taking their wealth, taking their property, uh, oppressing them in other ways, harming them, wronging them. All of that is oppression against other individuals, zulm against other individuals. So you see that there are these three types of oppression. The first of those is the zulm between yourself and Allah, and that is that you commit shirk and worship others besides Allah. The second type is the zulm between yourself and yourself. And that is when you commit sins and wrongdoing and errors, and the disobedience, so that you end up being deserving of being punished. So you've wronged yourself. The third type is the wronging that you do between yourself and other people. You take their rights and you transgress against them, and you take their wealth and their money and their property, and you harm them and you do wrong to them. They are the three types of oppression. What is the ruling for each type? What is the ruling for each type of oppression? The first type, the oppression that you do between yourself and Allah, if a person dies having done that type of oppression, shirk, then what's the ruling? Hellfire forever. 
Die is upon shirk. Inna Allah la yaghfiru an yushraka bih. That Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk. So a person who dies upon shirk, upon that shirk of calling upon others besides Allah, associating partners to Allah, dies upon that without repentance, then in the hellfire, that cannot be forgiven. The second type, the oppression that you do between yourself and yourself. Sins and other types of things that are less than shirk. What's the ruling on that? If you do all of those and you don't repent and you die. So, some of the scholars, they say, تَحْتَ الْمَشِيئَةِ That it's under the command of Allah. Maybe Allah will forgive you and allow you to go. And maybe you may be punished temporarily in the hellfire first. But then you will be able to go to the paradise afterwards. These are sins that are lesser than shirk. Like the Usatul Muwahideen. The people who commit the sins from the people of Tawheed. So these errors and sins, maybe you'll be punished for them. And maybe Allah will allow them to pass on the day of judgment. The third type, if you oppress other people and then you die without making repentance, what's the ruling on that one? What's the ruling though then? The ruling therefore is, will the person be forgiven or not? Not quite the same as the one before. Small difference. Anyway, the same. Okay, so the, the point is, that if you oppress other people and you die without making repentance, then the, uh, the balancing out, the iqtisas, it has to be done on the day of judgment. You have to return the rights of the people you oppressed. You can't just be forgiven. If you've wronged other people, you have to return their rights to them. And this is what the Shaykh mentions here. وَهَذَا لَا يَغْفِرُهُ اللَّهِ إِلَّا إِذَا سَمَحَ الْمَظْلُومُونَ وَإِلَّا فَلَا بُدَّ أَنْ يُقْتَصَّ لِلْمَظْلُومِ مِنَ الظَّالِمِ لِأَنَّهُ حَقُّ مَخْلُوقٍ لَا يَسْقُطُ إِلَّا بِعَفْوِهِ أَوْ إِسْتِيفَائِهِ وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَى حَرَّمَ الظُّلْمَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ So, this type, it cannot be forgiven unless the one you oppressed forgives you and pardons you, or unless you return the right of that individual. And you know the hadith on the Day of Judgment regarding that type of situation, أَتَدْرُونَ مَنِ الْمُفْلِسِ Do you know who the bankrupt one is on the Day of Judgment? And so the companions they said, مَنْ لَا دِرْهَمَ وَلَا دِنَارَ لَهُ Whoever doesn't have any money, the gold and the silver. But then the Prophet ﷺ explained to them, the bankrupt one is not somebody who has no money. The bankrupt one on the Day of Judgment is somebody who used to pray and fast and give zakat and do the worship. Somebody who used to worship, do worship. But at the same time, even though he used to do lots of worship, at the same time he used to oppress other people. He used to do this type of dhulm. He used to oppress other people. So on the day of judgment, those people are going to come. They're going to come, and they are going to want their recompense from that person. They are going to want to balance out and get justice from that person. So how will that occur? They will come and they will start taking away his good deeds. If he oppressed a person, he will come and take some of his good deeds. So now justice has been done. The next person will come and take some of his good deeds. Justice has been done. And they will keep coming. All of the people he oppressed. They will come and they will keep taking some good deeds for themselves to make the justice. Up until there are still people left and all of his good deeds have run out. So then what does he do? Then the people who were oppressed, they have no good deeds left to take from him to do justice. So they take some of their own evil deeds out and throw them onto him. And that is justice now. Some of their own evil deeds have been taken away. So this is the manner of the uh, justice that will be done for the one who oppresses another individual and does not return that right to that person or seek pardon from that person and dies upon that way of sinning against others. Then the justice will be done on the day of judgment. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَجَعَلْتُهُ بَيْنَكُمْ مُحَرَّمًا That I have made oppression haram between yourselves. I have made oppression haram between yourselves. فَلَا تَظَالَمُوا So do not oppress each other. أَيْ لَا يَظْلِمُ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا هَذَا تَحْذِيرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى مِنْ تَظَالُمِ الْعِبَادِ so here this is a warning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
that the servants should not oppress each other. For indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we said, will bring about the justice. If that occurs, then the justice will be brought about. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ أَخْبَرَ بِأَنَّهُ يَأْخُذُ الظَّالِمِينَ وَيُهْلِكُهُمْ Allah has informed us that He will take those oppressors and destroy them. قَالَ تَعَالَ وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ Do not think that Allah is negligent of what the oppressors are doing. The ayah of the Qur'an, Surah Ibrahim, do not think that Allah is negligent and is not aware of what those oppressors are doing. The one who oppresses, he transgresses against others, then Allah is aware of that. فَمَهْمَا ظَلَمَ الْإِنسَانُ وَتَمَادَى فَإِنَّهُ لَا بُدَّ أَنْ يُوَاجِهَ وَيُلَاقِيَ ظُلْمَهُ عَاجِلًا أَوْ آجِلًا So whomsoever transgresses and oppresses the people and does wrong to them, then he will face, he will face his oppression. His oppression will come to him eventually. He will eventually have to face that wrongdoing that he did, either sooner or later. Sooner or later, at some point, the one who oppressed and transgressed, he will come to face this oppression and transgression that he did against the people. وَقَدْ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ لِمُعَاذِ رضي الله عنه and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned to Mu'adh رضي الله عنه وَاتَّقِ دَعْوَةَ الْمَظْلُومِ فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ حِجَابَ and take precaution be warned from the dua of the oppressed one the dua of the oppressed one for indeed there is no barrier between the dua of the oppressed one and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that the answering of the dua for that person, there is no barrier between it. That even counts for the kafir, even the kafir who is mudloom. Sawa'an kana al-mudloomu musliman aw kafira, la yajuzu dhulmu ahad. Even if the, Muslim, if the one oppressed is a Muslim or a disbeliever, a Muslim or a disbeliever, this hadith is applicable. That the dua of the oppressed one, there is no barrier between it and Allah. So when you look at this type of narration, that even the kafir who is oppressed, it is not permissible to oppress him. It is not even permissible to oppress the kafir, let alone the Muslim. Then what therefore of all of those foolish individuals, the likes of the takfiris, who go around and they say, it is permissible to do as you please, the laws of the land do not apply to us. You can steal, you can rob, you can do whatever you want, break the law, oppress the people, oppress the kuffar. They come out with all of that nonsense, and you see the reality of the religion. Here you have this clear hadith, and it refutes the likes of those takfiris, those khawarij like-minded people, who bring about these foolish rulings, in saying that it is permissible to transgress and to oppress, and to do as you please. We are in the land of battle as they say. And in reality, they are sitting there taking the benefits themselves. And they say, we are in the land of battle and war. This is their foolishness and their extremism. Rather here we see that even a disbeliever, it is not permissible for a Muslim to oppress him. حَتَّى الْكُفَّارِ لَا يَجُوذُ ظُلْمُهُمْ Even the kuffar, then it is not permissible to oppress them. وَدُعَاءُ الْمَظْلُومُ مُسْتَجَابٌ وَلَوْ كَانَ كَافِرًا and the dua of the one who is oppressed is answered, even if it is a disbeliever. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى لَا يَرْضَى بِالظُّلْمِ وَالتَّعَدِّي Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased with oppression and transgression whatsoever. Even if he do it against a kafir. Then this is something not pleasing to Allah whatsoever. Then after that it mentions, فَلَا تَظَالَمُوا So do not oppress each other, knowing all of this now. Do not oppress each other. This is a warning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَدْ حَذَّرَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الظُّلْمِ فِي كِتَابِهِ فِي آيَاتٍ كَثِيرًا And Allah has warned us against oppression in many ayat of the Qur'an. Allah has warned us against oppression in many ayat of the Qur'an. وَتَوَعَّدَ الظَّالِمِينَ And the oppressors have been threatened. Allah has warned them and explained what is in line for them, those who oppress. وَضَرَبَ لَنَا الْأَمْثِلَةِ لِلظَّلَمَةِ الَّذِينَ أَخَذَهُمُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ 
تَحْضِيرًا لَنَا مِنَ الظُّلْمَةِ And Allah gave many examples in the Qur'an. If you read through the Qur'an, then there are many examples where Allah has highlighted the end result and the punishment of those people who were oppressors. How they were dealt with and the punishment that came to them due to the oppression of the others. So this is a warning to us, all of this that we see in the Qur'an, regarding the punishments of those oppressors. A warning to us to stay away from dhulm. وَمِنْ عَادَةِ الْإِنسَانِ أَنَّهُ ظَلُومٌ إِلَّا مَا رَحِمَ اللَّهِ And it is from the habit of the people that they oppress. It is from the habit of the people that they end up oppressing, except for the one whom Allah has mercy upon. So seek the aid and the assistance from Allah. Make dua that Allah keeps you firm, grounded upon the religion and away from any type of oppression. Because it is in the nature of the people that they oppress and they transgress. And that's mentioned in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ahzab, إِنَّهُ كَانَ ظَلُومًا جَهُولًا That is referring to this oppression and this oppressive nature. إِلَّا مَنْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ بِالدِّينَ Except for the one whom Allah blesses with religion, وَالْإِيمَانِ uh, and إِيمَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَتَطَهَّرُ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْخَصْلَةِ then that type of person who has religion and he has iman, he will be able to cleanse himself from that type of characteristic. He will be able to purify himself from that type of behavior in oppressing and transgressing against other people in whatever way that may be. Whether it is through lying against other people or spreading stories against other people or the backbiting, the ghiba and the namima and all of these types of things. As Shaykh al-Athameen, he used to say, there are two illnesses in society, two diseases in society. One of them is the namima, the spreading of the stories to cause corruption between people. And the other one is the ghibah, the backbiting between the people. And of course, there are many other affairs, the lying and the stealing and the cheating and the deceiving. All of these are from characteristics of oppression. But a Muslim who has a religion and he has iman, then that type of person will be able to prevent himself from those types of characteristics. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا عِبَادِي كُلُّكُمْ ضَالٌ إِلَّا مَنْ هَدَيْتُهُ فَاسْتَهْدُونِي أَهْدِكُمْ Allah mentions that, O oh my servants, all of you are misguided, except for the ones whom I guide. So seek guidance from me. This is an important point now because as the scholars have mentioned, no matter how much knowledge a person gains and how much understanding he thinks he has and no matter how intelligent he thinks he is, a person must always remember the greatest blessing of Allah upon him which is that Allah guided him to the religion of Islam. That Allah guided a person to the religion of Islam, the religion of Tawheed, and that is not from your own doing. That is not from your own intelligence or your own skills or expertise. Rather, that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A blessing, the greatest of blessings. Just as it is mentioned in many of the books, uh, if you look at the beginning of Sharh uh, al-Sunnah of Imam al-Barbahari, the very opening line is exactly that. Where Imam al-Barbahari, he praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah having guided us to the religion of Islam. So this is the greatest of blessings that a person is guided to this religion. And so many people, they have not been guided to this religion. That a person is guided to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that is from the blessings of Allah, not from the doing of the person himself. So a person should never rely upon himself never become self-dependent upon himself. Rather you recognize and you remember, and you place, you place your trust and dependence in Allah at all times, recognizing that this is from the grace and the mercy and the blessing of Allah upon you, that you were guided, not because of your own intelligence or your smartness, that you were able to understand the religion. كُلُّ الْعِبَادِ عَنِ الْحَقِّ So all of the servants are astray. From the truth, from the guidance, إِلَّا مَنْ هَدَاهُ اللَّهِ Except for the ones whom Allah guides. أي دَلَّهُ وَأَرْشَدَهُ إِلَى الْحَقِّ وَثَبَّتَهُ 
i.e. the ones whom Allah guides and directs to the truth, and keeps them firm and established upon that truth. فَلَوْلَا هِدَايَةُ اللَّهِ بِإِرْسَالِ الرُّسُلِ وَإِنزَالِ الْكُتُبِ وَنَصْبِ الْأَدِلَّةِ لِلنَّاسِ لَبَقَوْ فِي ظَلَالِهِمْ So was it not for the fact that Allah sent the messengers, and sent the books, and presented the evidences to us, was it not for that, then the people would have remained upon their misguidance. Was it not for the fact that Allah sent the guidance through the sending of the messengers, through the sending of the books, and the presentation of the evidences, then the people would have remained upon their misguidance. And this is why some of the scholars, they say, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said there is one type of wasila that you must accept. And there is one type of wasila that you must reject. What is the one type of wasila that you must reject? And if you do not, you fall into action of kufr and shirk. That is the wasila of the mushrikeen. When they go to the idols and the graves and they say, That wasila is shirk. Going to the graves and the prophets and making your dua via them, asking them to take your dua to Allah. Going to the righteous imams, they say, this is the grave of one of the awliya of Allah. Go there, make dua, and your dua will be answered. That type of wasila is shirk. That must be rejected. But there is another type of wasila which you must accept. And if you don't, then it becomes an act of kufr. That is the wasila of the prophets and messengers. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned that. The wasila of the prophets and messengers. Meaning that this revelation, this guidance, it didn't come to every single person. Allah didn't send the revelation to all of our minds one by one. The revelation came through the prophets and the messengers. The books, they were revealed to the prophets and messengers. They then came and taught the people and the message was spread. So they are the means between that revelation coming to us. The revelation didn't come one by one to all of us. Jibreel didn't come to every single one of us. He came to the prophets and the messengers, then they spread that outwards. So that is like the link of the revelation coming to us through the prophets and messengers. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and messengers and the books and presented the evidences. And was it not for that that the people would have stayed upon their misguidance? وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ مِنْ رَحْمَتِهِ بِهِمْ هَدَاهُمْ However, Allah from His mercy, He guided the people, وَدَلَّهُمْ And He showed them and guided them, وَأَرْشَدَهُمْ وَوَفَّقَهُمْ وَثَبَّتَهُمْ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided them and showed them the way and kept them established and firm upon that way. Also what we should mention here before concluding on this section of the hadith is that guidance is two types. That guidance is two types. Al-hidayah ala qismain. Al-qism al-awwal hidayatun bima'an al-bayan wal-irshad. One type of guidance, there are two types. One type of guidance is where it means to show someone and to indicate to someone and to guide someone to the right way. To generally show someone and to direct someone, to show someone and to direct someone and to guide someone to the right way. That is one type of guidance. And that is something we can all do. That is something we are all able to do for the one who understands and learns the religion. Then you can do that. Go to your family and you teach them which is Tawheed and which is Shirk. Teach them what is Sunnah, what is Bid'ah. You can explain to them the right from the wrong. Explain to them the Halal from the Haram. Show them the right way and show them the wrong way to stay away from it. We can all do that. And the Prophets and Messengers, they did that. فَاللَّهُ قَدْ هَدَى النَّاسَ جَمِعَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْكُفَّارِ بِمَعَنَ أَنَّهُمْ بَيَّنَ لَهُمْ وَأَرْشَدَهُمْ وَدَلَّهُمْ عَلَى الصَّوَابِ بِإِرْسَالِ الرُّسُلْ وَإِنزَالِ الْكُتُبِ so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided everyone, the Muslims and the kuffar, with this type of guidance. All of us have been shown, the prophets and messengers were sent to every nation, the books have been revealed and they are available, the Qur'an, the final revelation, it is there for everyone now. That type of guidance is prevalent, that type of guidance is available and everywhere. So that type of guidance, all of us can do it too. For the one who has knowledge and understanding and ability, you can go and teach the one, the path that is the true path, and the sunnah from the bid'ah, and the tawheed from the shirk, and you direct the people to the right way. So that is something that can be done. The second type of guidance, 
is known as the Hidayatul Tawfiq wal Qabul, the guidance of what you could say inner enlightenment. Inner enlightenment. A phrase you could perhaps use, meaning that the guidance that settles in your heart and that you accept. Because you could go to a hundred people and you could explain to them the sunnah from the bid'ah. Now, today, they are all celebrating the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ, this bid'ah. You could go to a hundred people and tell them that celebrating the birthday is a bid'ah and you could explain the reasons to them. You could tell them the Prophet ﷺ never did it ever. There's no single narration, hadith anywhere which is authentic and proven that the Prophet ﷺ did it. In fact, there is no narration or hadith anywhere that says that the companions even did it. In fact, if you look in the books of history, the first time the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ came about was approximately three or four centuries after the Sahaba, after the Prophet ﷺ. Four centuries approximately. So you could explain to them and you can explain to them. But after that one hour gathering out of those hundred people, when you've explained all of that, so you've done the first type of guidance, you've shown them. The second guidance, which is to accept that. How many of those people are going to accept? You don't know. Maybe 10 of them will accept. Maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe just one, maybe none. Because that second type of guidance isn't under your control. You can't force anybody to believe what you're telling them. You can tell them all it's bid'ah. They might all turn around at the end and say, no, we're not accepting it. We're still going to go do it. You can't control their hearts. The second type of guidance is the guidance of the heart. And that is something only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives. We cannot control the hearts of the people. We can't say to somebody, I'm going to go give you da'wah now. I'm going to go give this person da'wah. And at the end of the one hour, he will definitely become Muslim. You don't know that. You will give the first type of guidance. You'll explain tawheed and shirk and everything to him. You'll explain what la ilaha illallah means to him. But at the end of it all, he might say, I'm not convinced. Because the second type of guidance, the guidance of the heart, you don't control that. The first type you can do it. Show him and tell him and tawheed and sunnah, la ilaha illallah. Show him everything. The first type of guidance. So he sees the straight path. But will he accept that? That second type of guidance is out of our control. That is the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives. And that's why it's mentioned in the Qur'an, وَإِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتِ That you cannot guide whom you love. Some of the scholars, the Mufassireen, they say that this was about Abu Talib. That when the Prophet ﷺ was with his uncle Abu Talib and he was dying, and he said to him, يَا عَمْ قُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Oh my uncle, say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ This can be something that I can make, you can make a case for yourself and this will protect you and save you. But in the end, as the narrator says, آخِرُ مَا قَالْ The final thing that he said was, uh, he died upon the nation or the uh, belief of Abdul Muttalib shirk. So, this ayah was revealed regarding that. That you cannot guide whom you love. The Prophet ﷺ wanted to guide Abu Talib. He wanted to guide his uncle. He wanted his uncle to die upon Islam. And he went there and he told him and he explained to him, La ilaha illallah, etc. He told him all that. But did Abu Talib accept he did not accept. So that second type of guidance we see, it is not under our control or even the prophets and the messengers. It is not under the control of the prophets and the messengers. Rather the first type is what we can give to the people. You explain to them the right way, you tell them the sunnah, you explain to them the bid'ah. Then after that, make dua for them. And then it is from the guidance of Allah, the one who accepts and the one who does not. So the one whom Allah gives that guidance to, then you recognize and you realize what a great blessing this is to have taken you out from misguidance into guidance. Taken you out of a state where people, they spend all of these hundreds and thousands of pounds going out on marches in the streets and putting Christmas lights on their houses and Christmas lights on their mosques. Doing all of that and they say, this is Islam. They say, this is our love for Allah. That is false. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ اللَّهِ Say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me. Follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Not go and innovate and make up new things yourself. 
and go and get Christmas lights on the houses and in the mosques. That isn't following the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So a person who's been guided, then recognize and realize the greatness of this blessing upon you. So Allah says here then, كُلُّكُمْ ضَالٌ إِلَّا مَنْ هَدَيْتُ All of you are misguided apart from the ones whom I guide, who Allah gives that level of blessing to, that guidance of the heart to. فَاسْتَهْدُونِي So seek your guidance from me. Ask Allah to guide you. اللَّهُمَّ اهْدِنِي Oh Allah, guide me. Ask for the guidance from Allah. اللَّهُمَّ دُلَّنِي عَلَى الْخَيْرِ اللَّهُمَّ وَفِّقْنِي لَهُ اللَّهُمَّ ثَبِّتْنِي عَلَيْهِ You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you to the truth and to keep you firm upon the truth. And you make this dua regularly. Make that dua for guidance and for firmness upon the truth. And that is what Allah is saying, أَهْدِكُمْ Then I am the one who will guide you. I am the one who will answer to your dua to guide the person to the upright way and to keep him firm upon the upright way. Because you don't know the hearts of the people, they change. One time, perhaps the person is upon mis- a guidance, but then something occurs to his heart and he ends up upon misguidance. So a person must always ask Allah to keep his heart firmly grounded upon that truth, so that he doesn't end up being or falling into misguidance after the truth came to him. And after he saw the reality of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, he saw the reality of this revelation and this religion, you make dua to Allah to keep you firm upon that, so that you do not stray away from that. That section of the hadith, that's what we'll conclude on today. And next week, inshaAllah ta'ala, we'll carry on from that section and finish off the second part of the hadith, because it is a lengthy hadith. So we'll conclude there for today. We're out of time. When Yusuf alayhi salam, his brothers did prostration to him. This was not shirk because the scholars they say that the prophets and messengers they all came with the same basis. What was that basis? To teach Tawheed and to warn against shirk. However, the Sharia that each prophet was given was slightly different in according to that time. At different times in history, the people were different, their cultures were different. The Sharia was given to each group of people according to their needs and their suitability. So sometimes certain things that were halal at one time, for one Sharia, for one prophet and his people, for another prophet and their people, that may be haram. Those are small aspects of the Sharia, of halal and haram. The overall Tawheed of Aqeedah, Tawheed and warning against shirk, that was the same throughout the Prophets and Messengers. But these small aspects of the Sharia, some of the aspects of halal and haram, they may have been different from time to time. In accordance to what was suitable for the people and Allah decides that upon the wisdom. So at the time of Yusuf salam, it was permissible to prostrate to someone not out of worship, ibadah, because that would be shirk. And we've already said, every prophet and messenger warned against shirk. So that prostration was not a prostration of worship. That's impossible. It was a prostration of honoring someone or greeting someone. That's it. To honor someone and to greet someone, at the time of Yusuf salam, it was allowed to bow, to honor someone or to greet someone. It was allowed to do it at that time. That was one of the aspects of that sharia. But then now in the sharia of the, of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, is it allowed to bow and prostrate to someone out of worship? That's haram anyway. Throughout all of the prophets and messengers. The second type, is it allowed to bow to someone now to honor and greet them? In this sharia now, it's haram. How do we know? There's a clear hadith about it. The Prophet sallam said, if I was going to tell anyone to bow to anyone else, I would have told the woman, the wife to prostrate to the husband due to the great right that the husband has in terms of looking after and taking care of the affairs of the wife. If that was possible, then he would have done that. But it's not possible. So in this sharia, even out of honor and greeting, even out of just to honor or greet someone, you're not allowed to do it. But at that time, that was allowed as a part of that sharia. So you have to understand, the overall basis of aqidah and tawheed, that is the same 
for all of the prophets and messengers, the tawheed and the warning against shirk, every prophet and messenger. But then these small finer details, they were different between the different prophets and messengers. So Yusuf alayhi salam, they were allowed out of honor and greeting. But in our sharia now, even out of honor and greeting, you're not allowed. So that's the difference between those. وَلِكُلِّنْ جَعَلْنَا شِرْعَةً وَمِنْهَاجًا Allah said in the Qur'an that we made for all of them a sharia and a methodology. Wasila, we've, we've talked about it before too. Wasila, that these types of things that they talk about, going to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and asking him to take your dua to Allah, or going to the graves of the pious awliya, as they say, and asking them to take your dua to Allah, or going and slaughtering there, or making tawaf around those graves, or even to the people who are alive now, they say these are big awliya. So they go there and they wipe them and they do these things and they say they'll make dua for you. That type of intermediary is all haram. That is exactly the same as what the mushrikeen they used to do. When they used to say, مَا نَعْبَدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ زُلْفَىٰ We don't worship them, they used to say, except because they will bring us close to Allah. وَهَاؤُلَاءِ شُفَعَاؤُنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ They used to say, these are our intermediaries between us and Allah. They used to do exactly the same. They used to go to these idols and statues and whatever else it was, thinking that they will be able to take their dua to Allah. And they will be able to bring them closer to Allah. That type of act is haram. Going to graves and asking them to take your dua to Allah. Or even going to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and asking him to take your dua to Allah. All of that is incorrect. That is not the wasila which is permissible. Rather here what Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah was talking about was the Prophets and Messengers being a means of the revelation coming to us. Because the revelation, Jibreel didn't come to every single person. He came to the prophets and messengers and then they spread that to us. So they were the means of that revelation coming to us. That's what was meant here. Not that you go to the prophets and the messengers now and you make dua now at their graves and the uh, awliya as they say. Just going back on that Yusuf question. Did his, did his brothers afterwards come prophets as well? Allah We'll have, we'll have to conclude because uh, the whole booking is over. But next week, inshallah. Next week, inshallah, the remainder of the questions, whatever is left. If the sisters can leave first and then we'll go afterwards.